Luke 22. And once again, I find myself speaking real fast. So I'm going to gear down a little bit. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to read about somebody. You ever read autobiographies? Someone's story or testimony? Testimonies are powerful. Absolutely powerful. The book of Revelation says that we overcome the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the beast, the dragon, the devil. We overcome him by three things. Number one is the blood of Jesus. It's like the, the number one thing, the supreme thing. Number two, though, we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony. That is how God has acted and been strong in our lives, what God has done. That just squashes the enemy in his tracks. When you hear somebody else's testimony, even when I recall my own testimony, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness to my past, okay, God's faithfulness to my present, and therefore God's faithfulness to my future. And I'm alleviated of the battles that I'm in. He's been faithful. And when you hear somebody else's testimony, it's crazy. You maybe have experienced this in your own journey, your own struggling. You'll hear somebody else's story of how good God is and what God has done, and it will be the key that unlocks the battle of your own heart. Oh, man. You mean you, you got delivered from that? You got set free? You were picked up? You were forgiven? You were put back together? I need that. I need to be delivered, set free, rescued, and put back together. That's what I need. And when you hear somebody else's testimony, it can unlock the very battles that you're facing. The only problem with a testimony is that it usually details our dark days. Because you can't have any money without the test. You know what I'm saying? The, the testimony. You know, everyone wants to see the money. Hey, show me the money, you know. <laughs> there ain't no money without a test. Right? You'll never forget that. Don't ever share that with anybody. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. So I'm going to pray. <laughs> Someone wrote that down. Testimony, you know. <laughs> Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the testimony we're about to uh, read. That is of Peter. Peter in his denial uh, three times of you. Uh, we just studied the betrayal of Judas last week. And really in these two men's testimonies, we also see, Lord, your faithfulness. That is a testimony of God. That Jesus, you know all things and can do all things. And so for my friends here this morning, myself included, as we study this testimony, may it elevate you as the Savior, the Redeemer, the God who knows all things. And may it also, Lord, humble us, the sinners, the rebels, the ones who are prone to brokenness. May we find ourselves, Lord, like Peter did, truly repenting. As it's recorded, weeping bitterly. In the Greek, those words would denote that it was violent convulsions, that he was broken because of his sin. And Lord, even as you are a great Savior, we are proven to be great sinners, but you are a greater Savior. So Lord, as we study this testimony, would you anoint this time? Thank you for my friends here, the 9 a.m. service, Lord, and the kids that are in their classes, and for all the people that are going on missions, Lord, just in now for Tyler and Elizabeth and Clyde and for Kevin. And for us who here are locally missionally minded in our businesses, our schools, school starts again tomorrow. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that your word would not return void, but it would do things right now. We open up our hearts to you and we lift up Jesus. Would you draw us to yourself now? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? 
Amen. I'll read the testimony to you and then we'll study it. Verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him. That's Jesus. And they brought him into the high priest's house. I could talk a whole lot about the misnomers here. They arrested, led, and brought him. This is Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the sustainer of all things, and yet he's under arrest, he's being led, and he's being brought. Or is he? Jesus knows what's going on. And he laid his own life down. Nobody took his life. That's what he said. He even declares while he's under trial that he could call thousands and thousands and thousands of angels down at any minute. But instead he didn't. He was the sacrificial lamb led to slaughter. While Jesus is doing this, that is being led, being arrested, being brought into the high priest's house, which by the way, Bible students, listen, those who think these things through, the first place Jesus was led was to the high priest. This is during Passover, where the lambs would be inspected and then slaughtered. The lambs then would bring forgiveness of the sins of the nation of Israel. And the lambs would have to be inspected by the high priest. And the first inspection that goes into Jesus was with the high priest. This makes complete sense. Jesus would go through a series of six trials in the next 12 hours before he'd be crucified. Six trials. Six. Why six? Because he was innocent and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And then finally Pontius Pilate, the very final trial, Pontius Pilate would say, I find no fault in this man. King Herod would say, I find no fault in this man. All the accusers, their stories didn't agree. Jesus is being led, but really he's offering himself as the spotless lamb. Go ahead, check me out. Turn me over. Look around. Look deep. And I hope you've done this, by the way, with Jesus. Have you done this yet? You might be excited to be at church this morning. It's fun. I like, I like church, and I like this church a lot. Okay, But you know what I like even more than church and this church? Is the lamb, Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's it. And that's, that's what matters. It's not about the coffee we have here. It's great coffee. It's not about the worship, top-notch worship. It's not about the parking lot. We have one of the best. No, we don't. We have a horrible parking lot. It's not about the parking or the bathrooms. <laughs> it's about Jesus. And he's brought into the high priest's home. Verse 54. Last sentence. But Peter followed at a distance. Up until this point, we have all identified with Peter. We love Peter. We see ourselves in Peter. We, we, we want to model Peter. I do, at least. I see his boldness and his charisma and his ability. And yet here we see the humanity of Peter, the testimony. While Jesus is going to be examined and pay for the sins of the whole world, the only one that can do and would do what Jesus did do, Peter does what we do. He's been touched by the Lord. Praise God. And yet he's following Jesus at a distance. It's different than it had been. It's, it's almost shameful. Peter, his right-hand guy, one of the three amigos, Peter, James, and John, the one who'd previously just boasted, even if everybody else leaves you, I will never forsake you. There may be a season I follow you from a distance, though. It gets worse. Verse 55. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, this is the courtyard of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, these are the bad guys, the ones who just arrested Jesus, the ones who've been trying to kill him for three years. And now somehow, the Bible tells us in other stories and other, other accounts that John and Peter had both gotten into this area, this kind of high security area. There's reasons that we think that that happened. But they had kindled a fire and Peter sat, you can circle this, among them. These are the enemies of Jesus. 
First he's following behind, and now he's at the wrong fire. Oh, my goodness. And I'm going to go into this in a little bit, but have you done this before? Have you found yourself following at a distance? For, I mean, just be honest. Peter's, do, Peter's done it. I've done it. And inevitably, you find yourself at the fires of the enemy. Verse 56, this is what happens. Sorry about that. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, which, by the way, he was standing and now sitting. It reminds me of Psalm 1, not to stand in the path of the ungodly or to walk in the council or to sit in the seat. And it's just a progression. And this lady sees him, this little girl. By the way, in that day, women didn't have rights. They weren't something to fear. And so Peter's not in danger. Not only is she a woman, she's a girl. Not only is she a girl, she's a servant. Peter's pretty much in control here. And yet he's about to cower and deny and pretend he doesn't even know the Lord. He's not even in danger, really. And she said to him, looking intently, this man was also with him. Verse 57. But he denied him. Denied him, Jesus. Saying, woman, I do not know him. I wonder, what, I wonder what raced through Peter's veins when he said that. You ever done something so stupid? Where you're just like, wow, I can't believe I said that. Wow, I can't believe I did that. I said, I, said, I would never do that. And I just did that. I don't know if he knew what he just said or if it was just so knee-jerk reaction. And we've all denied the Lord. Just let's all get on the same level. We've all denied the Lord, okay? Either belligerently like this or accidentally even. You, you could say, but we know what's going on. Verse 58. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also of them. The first girl said, I saw you with him. This guy says, I saw you with them. That is the disciples. Which, by the way, there's a, a fork there. A disciple will be seen with Jesus, and a disciple, disciple will be seen with Jesus' people. It's just the way it is. Peter was a disciple. But Peter said, man, I am not. I'm not one of them. As he turns his Jesus' real hoodie inside out. Verse 59. Then after about an hour had passed. Oh, man. And by the way, just what's Jesus going through in that hour? Okay. Torture. Torture. Brutal torture. Examination. Fist pounding. Rods. Ultimately thorns in the head. Mocking, sleepless night, dehydration, physical exhaustion, brutality. Jesus is suffering while Peter's sitting by the fire for an hour roasting marshmallows. An hour goes by. And another verse 59 confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. Mark tells us that the guy actually said, your speech betrays you, bro. You're from Galilee. You know, you talk like you're from Toledo, you know. <laughs> Careful. I'm not, that's not a bad thing. You talk like you're from the coast, man. The Galileans were not from Judea. They were up, they had a different dialect. It'd be like if you were from the south. You ever talk to somebody with an accent? You're like, whoa, you're not from here, dude, for real. You sound different. And you can identify where people are from, the way they talk. By the way, and I hope I get there because this is taking way too long. Peter was a Christian. He loved Jesus. He was seen with Jesus. He was seen with Jesus' people, and he talked differently than everyone else. Those are three earmarks of a Christian. 
Yeah, you love Jesus. You love the people of Jesus. And you actually are identified by your speech. You talk differently. If you're a Christian, man, something's changed. Something has changed. The Bible actually says you now have the aroma, fragrance of Christ. And you, you just smell different. You sound different. You are different. And as a Christian, as I reflect, it's like, dude, for real. When I'm around my old buddies, I still have old buddies, old secular friends, and I just feel like there's two different languages being spoken. And I hope you feel this at the workplace. I hope you sense this. I hope others are able to identify you and say, you're different. We tell the jokes and you don't laugh. We, we pull the things up on the internet and you don't look and we talk about these things and you seem to be out of touch. You don't, where are you from, man? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I, don't, I have a new language. And Peter was identified. These are all good attributes. I saw you with him. I saw you with them. And you're just different, bro. Well, Peter, verse 60, said, man, I do not know what you're saying. Other gospel writers tell us in the third denial, he actually swore and cussed in such a way to swear upon himself a curse. Let me be blankety blank cursed if I know the man. Whoa, dude, that's next level. Peter, turned down for what, bro? Come on. And while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I've been referencing this. I need you to see. This is amazing. They're in the courtyard of Annas and Caiaphas where the fires are burning. Inside, Jesus is being tried. And right after hours of trial and false examination and brutality and beatings and beard being pulled out of his face and spittle running off of his forehead from the high priest, after all of this, as soon as Peter says, man, I don't even know the guy, right then, Jesus is being taken to the dungeon to be tried the next morning, and he's now in the courtyard with Peter. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then, have it circled in your Bible, please. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And maybe the most important verse for you and I who are like Peter, verse 62. And so Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This is the testimony of Peter, who wrote first Peter, second Peter, who was used to bring the Holy Spirit to the world in Acts 2, who was also used to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles in Acts 10. This is Peter, the one who had walked on water. Peter, the one who was at the mountain of transfiguration, who had seen Moses and Elijah show up, and Jesus transfigured, and he saw the end of all things. And This is crazy. This is Peter who was given miracles to do and perform on his own. Peter who was taken into Jairus' house to raise his daughter from the dead. This is Peter who had fed the 5,000 with bread given to him by Jesus. This is Peter, did I already say walked on water, who had walked on water with Jesus He'd gone through a lot. And now at this time, a little girl, another girl, and a dude come to him and say, aren't you a Christian? Nah, you got the wrong guy. For sure you got the wrong guy. Dude, if you ask me again, this might get ugly. And he denies Jesus three times, and right then the rooster crows, because Jesus had predicted that the rooster would crow right on time. And here's the principle. We learned this three weeks ago, is that Jesus knows who will sin when they'll sin, and how they'll sin, and he's made provision for that. He knows it. He knows your past. He knows your present. And this is where it gets a little scary. He knows your future. 
how many guys are sitting here with me this morning and you're not aware of your future stumblings? Okay. <laughs> and like every day you go to work, you're like, seatbelt, seatbelt, harness, you know, like, oh Lord, help me not blow, <laughs> you know. And in your future, there are, not everyone wants to hear this, but there's mistakes, tragedies, sin. And we would love to sit here and say, no, 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 not me. Like Peter said, not me, Lord. Maybe those other guys at South Beach Church, especially that 11 a.m. lazy service, you know. <laughs> They're the ones to watch out for. <laughs> Here's the great news. And by the way, you don't really get an appreciation of the good news without an understanding of the bad news. You just don't. The bad news is, is you sin, and you will sin again good news, the great news is, is that Jesus knows that and has made provision for you, and he's created a way for you to find holiness and righteousness in him and him alone. Peter pursues this in verse 62. He weeps bitterly. Jesus would go on to be separated from Peter for the next 36 to 72 hours as he would suffer and die and be buried and on the third day rise again, and one of the first people at the tomb is Peter, unlike Judas, who had also sinned. And it felt remorse and regret, but not repentance. And unfortunately, Judas would not be at the tomb there on Easter Sunday morning, but Peter would be the very first person inside the tomb. And when the angel told the ladies that Jesus was not there, he said, go tell all the disciples and Peter. And when Jesus arose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he found a few select people, Peter being one of them. See, Peter made it through this. And the good news is, the great news is that even though you have sinned and I have strayed, God has made provisions for our sins and our failures. And we learn all this from God's word. You guys know that this is God's word. This is what we study here at South Beach Church. We've been doing this. We're going to continue to do this. I met with some friends of mine, some retired ministry people, and we were talking about pace and how fast should you teach through the Bible. And man, there's, just no, there's no hurry. It's all God's word. It's all inspired. And what God's word does is it declares who God is and what God does in the midst of our society, in the midst of our condition. God is gracious, God is good, God pursues us. This is what allows me to get up every single morning and face myself in the mirror. You guys ever look at the mirror when you wake up? Man, as you get older, you're just like, oh no, the mirror's broken, you know. <laughs> Honey, the mirror's broken. Oh no, it's not the mirror. Oh, you know. And that's just external. The Bible says of the Bible, the Bible says of itself, it's a mirror. But as we look into it, ooh, we, we, we see ourselves. And it's not, it's not awesome. And yet God has made provision for you. And that's what helps me to get up. Lord, you, you can save me and you can save others? Lord, you're doing something in Lincoln County? Lord, you love us? Lord, that's the message? The good news is better than the bad news is bad. That's the message of Jesus Christ. And here's the difference. Last week we studied Judas, this week we're studying Peter, and really, you have to pick what path you'll take after you fail. You can't say you won't fail, that's just not an option. You have to choose, though, what will you do when you fail, when you stumble, when you make a mistake? How, how will you navigate forward? Will you be like Judas, remorse, regret, but not a pursuit of Jesus, or will you be like Peter, remorse, regret, that leads to repentance? We don't have a choice if we'll sin or not, I just... I just I haven't found that to be true. The Bible does say, just in case you want to send me an email later, that the power of sin has been broken, that the penalty of sin has been paid, and that eventually the presence of sin will be eradicated, okay? But right now the presence of sin is still here, is it not? Is anybody married out there? 
Anybody have kids? Anybody drive a car? You know, there's sin everywhere, man. And yet God has made provision for those sins in our lives. And I love these kind of stories because they help us to understand that even when we want to be perfect and do great, that sometimes we don't. Did you know that Peter, we learned this three weeks ago, is the best among us? He's the best and strongest disciple. He was the one given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looked at him and said, Father, has revealed these things. I'm going to change your name. Man, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of hell shall prevail against what I'm doing in your life, Peter. He was the best among us, and he fails. And the principle is, is that Peter is a great sinner, and Jesus is an even greater savior. And that is the good news that we get to live in and that we get to promote to our kids and to the world around us. Here's the question we need to ask, though, for our learning today. How did this happen? Look at verse 54 again. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Okay, how does he fall, uh, follow Jesus at a distance? How did he get here? If you remember when he was called in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay? And remember, they all followed him. Peter and, and James and John and Andrew, they left their fishing industry and they followed him. Peter's following, man. It's a good day. And yet now he's following at a distance. Have you ever heard this term before? Man, I just fell into sin. Raise your hand if you've heard that term before. I just fell into sin. Did you know that that's not true? It's impossible to fall into sin, okay? It's, it, it would be like saying, you know, how'd you get to the store? Man, I fell into my car. And next thing I know, I fell into the store. He's like, you know, no, no. You don't fall into the car. You don't, you don't fall into anything. People say, I fell, into, I fell in love. You know, we just fell in love. No, you didn't fall in love, okay? You pursued one another, and the responses were acted upon, and you ended up in love. You ended up at the store. You ended up in sin. You don't fall into sin, okay? <laughs> when someone repents, you know, I just, man, I just fell into sin. It just sounds, you know, a little bit more, you know, vi victimization. I don't know what happened. No, we know what happened. And I just want to, I got to race through this, but I want you guys to see this stuff. Because this is Peter. And the testimony is here for our learning. So that way we can become different and better. And so we've got to trace back his steps just a little bit. And, and I, do, I do counseling uh, sometimes with people, and I usually ask a few questions. And, and normally you can just trace, like, how we got here. Like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. What's going on here? And ask a few questions, like, oh, oh, oh. You know, now, now I know how we got here, and now we can at least you know, undo the damage. But everyone's got a story of how they got to where they are, and you can't just say, I don't know what happened. I just fell into it. Let me just write these or uh, get these out to you quickly. You can write them down in your notes. Here's five things that we learn from Peter in how we get to verse 54, but Peter followed at a distance. Number one, it starts with pride or self-assurance. You can write that down. Okay, and overconfidence in the flesh. And all of us deal with this to some degree or another, but I guarantee you if you have pride, overconfidence in the flesh, or if you have self-assurance, that you're going to find yourself walking further away from the Lord. It's just the way it is. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter, the guy we're studying now, chapter 5, verse 5, you know what he says? God resists the proudful, the prideful, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He knew this, and when pride enters into our lives, it is a snowball effect of us distancing ourselves from the Lord, eventually, like we see here, warming ourselves by the enemy's fire, and then finally denying the Lord that we even know him. It's just the way it works. It starts with pride, though. Okay, raise your hand if you don't have any more pride yet. You got that all figured out? You Raise your hand if you're humble. Any humble people here? You know what I'm saying? Man, I'll tell you what. I'm 40 years old with a big beard, and so that means I'm full of pride, and I'm a man. But I'll tell you what. I remember when I was 20. You guys remember when you were 20? Man, 
I remember things I did, things I thought at age 20, 21, 22, and I was so much more prideful then, but 20 years later, I've still got pride in me now, and we need to be aware of the pride that lingers within us because God says in his word that it's repulsive to him, and he resists that person. Let me just ask one more question before I move on. Have you ever talked to a real prideful person? Like you just come and talk to them, they're like just so full of themselves, self-assurance, self-reliance, self-confidence in the flesh. Is it, re- is it repulsive to you as well? It's repulsive to the Lord. And here's the problem. Missy Elliott was being interviewed a long time ago. And she was asked about the sin of pride. And her response was, pride's a sin? I didn't even, why is that a sin? Aren't we supposed to be proud of ourselves? And shouldn't we do things, you know, in, in pride? And the Bible says that pride and arrogance, okay, is resisted by God. It's repulsive. And here's what it does. You, you see this, by the way, uh, evidence in verse 33. Look at verse 33. Go back a little bit. This is his trajection. It says, but he said to, them, to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That was his prideful statement. You guys remember that. And that prideful statement was said. Jesus corrected him. Look what happens next. Uh, we see in Luke 22, verse 45. I'll read it to you. Uh, it says that when he, that's Jesus, arose from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Did you know that if you have pride or self-assurance or uh, overconfidence in the flesh, ultimately you will have a prayerless life? Jesus takes his three amigos to the garden and he says, let's pray. Peter had already tooted his own horn and said, I'm not going to deny you. It's no big deal. As a matter of fact, I might catch up on my sleep right here. If you are full of pride, you inevitably will not be full of prayer. Just the way it works. As a matter of fact, let's reverse it. How's your prayer life right now? If you don't pray a lot right now, there's a few reasons. Number one, you're lazy, okay? Lazy, undisciplined, whatever the case is. And I hate to say this, but it could be that in your own life right now, you're just gonna muscle through whatever's ahead of you. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna handle it. If you're fearful of the things and you know you can't handle them, chances are you'll be hitting the knees. Chances are you'll be bowing down and praying, saying, Lord, I got a wife, I got kids, I got a church, I got a lot riding on this thing. Jesus, would you have your way? Would you cover me? This is too much for one person to handle. And if you have humility, you'll be covered in prayer. I hope that's the case. And maybe just ask you, why don't I? Well, I'm just a self-made man. There's no such thing. I'm a self-assured woman. There's no such thing. God resists that person. Careful. Prayerlessness. And we're full of pride and, and overconfidence you won't be found praying you just won't and and jesus told his disciples remember weeks ago pray lest you enter into temptation prayer is not just to get stuff but it's to keep stuff out okay and there are just there's things around us right now man i hope you pray all day i i I, nobody prays as much as we should okay nobody's nobody's yelling at anybody or talking down i don't pray as much as i should i think i should pray more but i love to pray when i'm overwhelmed when i'm when i'm freaked out when things are stacked against me my knee-jerk reaction is to pray let's just pray right now let's pray it's an act of worship submission supplication protection if you're not careful though you'll read what the world's narrative is which you got to just double down knuckle down and get through this you can do it you're a man you're a woman you can do this you're a sinful man you're a sinful woman you need the lord to cover you peter didn't do that you guys know the story then what happened next look at verse uh, 50 this is what happens after he wakes up, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest uh, and cut off his right ear. Peter wakes up from his snooze, and he hasn't been close to the Lord, and we see now his actions and his activities are fleshly. He's acting out in the flesh because he hasn't been 
tuned into the Lord through prayer, and he hasn't been tuned into the Lord through prayer because he's prideful in his own self-awareness, and now he acts out in the flesh. Raise your hand if you've ever acted out in the flesh. Anybody ever do anything in the flesh? Man, what's wrong with you guys? What are you doing? We do this. We freak out. Peter wakes up. He sees some guys. He's been with Jesus for three years. Never once have they gone like Kung Fu Commando and tried to like cut everyone up. They tried to burn a few places down, and Jesus said, knock it off. That's not what we do. And now three years into it, Peter wakes up. And he's like, oh, it's go time. And he starts, what are you, where did you get this from? It's the flesh. It's his way. He's a machismo guy. He's a fisherman. And he's been sleeping while he should have been praying, and he's been prideful when he should have been humble. And I'll tell you what, if you find yourself acting out in the flesh, it's because of your lack of prayer and because of your overabundance of pride. It's just the way it is. I'll, I'll summarize it this simple. You can write it down or consider it later, memorize it. If, if I don't have a connection to God, I'm usually not godly. Okay, next time you're not godly, you're just kind of freaking out and fleshing out and weirding out. It happens, okay? I see your Facebook. I know what's going on. Are you connected to the Lord? He just doesn't show us that. And the fourth thing we see is where we began today. He's following Jesus at a distance, Luke 54, uh, 22, 54. And we've all done this before, where we're not as close as we should be. He didn't want to lose track of Jesus in totality, so he did follow. We can give him that much. He was risking something being here. And if you're like me and you're honest, there are seasons in your life where you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, but you're not like hog wild crazy, right? You're still there. You kind of know what's going on, but you're in a danger zone. You're not as close as you used to be. You're not as intimate. It's not as important. You don't want to fully lose track of Jesus. And I've been on fire for the Lord, and I've been close to him and impressed by him and living for him. And I've actually seen this in other people's lives. And inevitably, through a series of events, you don't fall into this. It's a series of events. Pride prayerlessness, fleshly living, doing things on your own, next thing you know, you drift. You just drift. You ever been out swimming in the ocean before and just kind of hanging out? You can't swim in the ocean or go surfing without staying in control of where you're at. You're going to drift according to the sea. It's just the way it is. So too, in your walk with Jesus, if you're not purposefully staying near to him and drawing after him and staying in love with him and repenting to him, you too will drift. Look at verse 54, but Peter followed at a distance. And here's the dangerous part and the unfortunate part, because you're still following him, right? I talked to a friend on the phone yesterday. He called with needed some advice, making decisions. Hey, Luke, I can take this other job, and it's going to almost double my pay. It's crazy. It's going to take us where we want to go. But, but in that, it's going to jeopardize my relationship with my family. I'll be gone a lot, young kids. It's going to jeopardize everything I'm doing at the church right now. I serve in three or four different areas. I'm actually having an impact. It's really cool. And all that's going to go away for some money. I said, well, <laughs> the fact you're even talking to me about it tells me that you're you're torn. And I gave him the best advice to give to a husband ever. What does your wife say? <laughs> Holy Spirit speaks through wives. True, true story. And, and I said, dude, you're, you're going to die one day. And if, if you're further from the Lord than you are now when you die, but you have more, more, more dollars in the bank, but right now, you could, with your wife, in agreement, say, hey, I think there's more important things, more eternal things right now. And the things he was talking about wasn't evil. It's not evil. And we have to make these decisions daily. Is this going to make me close to the Lord or further from the Lord? What's going on here? 
And we have to make these decisions, these navigational pulls. He didn't fall into sin. He's navigating slowly. Peter's making these mistakes, and we're studying his testimony. And you're here this morning, and I thank Jesus you're here. You're still following the Lord. Good job. Every single one of you. Good job. But I have to look at this and say, dude, if Peter can get this out of line, if Peter can get this squirrely and weird, Lord, is there anything in my life that's just pridefully, prayerlessly, fleshly, foolishly against you? And I don't like teaching legalistic sermons and putting unnecessary burdens on you guys. I don't like telling my friend on the phone yesterday, I, I would stick and stay and make it pay here. I, I would, you know, I don't like telling, but I do want you to be fruitful. I want you to be fat in the Lord, okay, full of him, because you're going to die too, and you have an opportunity to bear eternal rewards. Well, the fruit of all this, Peter was first prideful, and maybe today you just start there, humble yourself. I just need to humble myself. I just, I just I, he was judgmental. The other disciples, man, they're a bunch of kooks, these guys. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm pretty good. Careful. Time out. Maybe you need to humble yourself. Look in the mirror and say, oh, I, I got to adjust. And, and, and it'll be evidenced in your prayer life. Are you waking up seeking the Lord? Do you need him? It'll also be evidenced in your, in your flesh. Is there flesh coming out of you? What's going on? How, how, how hard are you near the Lord? And by the way, this sermon's so easy to preach because this like nails all of us, okay? Every single one of us is like, oh, no, he's talking right to me, you know. It's one of those sermons. <laughs> And if it's not talking to you, it's because you're full of pride. You know? Kid, kid, not kid. Somebody's out there arguing, not me, Pastor. I will never do that, you know. We just read that. Here, here's the problem, the fruit of this. He goes back to his old ways. Look at verse 55. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. I already, I already referenced what's going on. This is the enemy's courtyard. These aren't friends. These are foes. Peter's there with the Lord. He's at a distance. Next thing he knows, he's by the fires of the world. He's cold. He's been sleeping. He just woke up. Jesus, by the way, coincidentally, was not cold. Remember, he was sweating. Okay? He was hot. He was ready to go, ready for war. Peter wakes up. He's like, oh, no. He starts making stupid decisions, cutting people's ears off. Gets to the, the scene. He's like, dude, I'm so, I just need some comfort, apparently. So he goes to the fires. And here's what happens in our lives. We go through seasons, and we need comfort. We need to find some sort of resolve. I need, I need something here. My question to you today is, is, what is the fire that you go to naturally? Is it, is it entertainment? Is it a, a substance of some sort? Is it, is it a relationship? Is it uh, your phone? Is it Facebook? Okay, ask yourself these questions. Where do I go to when I'm in the rest? It could be the Bible, journaling, worship, prayer, the Lord. It could be those things. I wish it were upon us, all of us, those things. But the problem is with Peter is that his steps had taken him to make bad decisions. And he warms himself by the enemy's fire. Here's the problem with fires. You can't mess with it. Uh, you'll get burned. You guys know this. It'll leave its impression on you. You ever been uh, at a campfire before? You know, I mean, what do you smell like uh, the next day uh, or forever? You know, campfire, man. Just get the smell in your hair and your clothes and your beard. And it's just, you can't do it. And we have this thing that I'm just going to go a little bit over here and find a little bit of comfort, a little bit of warmth in my, in my problem right now, and hopefully it doesn't make an impact on my life. And it's going to make an impact. People will sense it. And let me just say this. I'm running out of time. i got a lot to say. Uh, there will always be a fire. The enemy will be faithful to provide, just so you guys know. 
there'll always be some place to go to find comfort in this world. When Jonah was running from the Lord, he ran, and whoa, whoa, there's a boat, no way, and he paid the fare and got on the boat. Man, that was a close one. You know, and all of a sudden, Jonah got free swimming lessons in the ocean. There'll always be a boat, there'll always be a fire, there'll always be some temptation, some place to go that is not where you should go, always. Be aware of that. Don't let it, by the way, trick you. Man, I'm depressed, I'm down. I'm following the Lord at a distance. I just don't know what to do. Ring, ring, ring. Oh, wow, I haven't had a call from this person in a while. Interesting, really. Message, text, opportunity for an old flame, an old fire. Be very careful. The devil will provide faithfully that which will burn you. Look at verse 56 and 57. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, but he denied him. Jesus saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also one of them. All right, after a while, another saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And let me just stop and make this uh, connection. Peter was seen with him and with those who loved him. Okay, this has to be the fact in your Christianity. You, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, have to love Jesus. Okay, you really do. It's not that hard. You have to really love him. You can't just love the people of him. And there are people here at this church and other churches that love church and they love fellowship, they love organization, they love doing good stuff, they, they love life groups, they love people. It's not that hard to find some people you enjoy, but they don't really have a devotion to Jesus, a real connection to him. And I can sense this sometimes in people, I can sense it in my own life when my devotion to Jesus is waning. Can I just say, your devotion to Jesus is absolutely necessary. You can't just have a horizontal connection. It won't work. But there are other people I've met they have a vertical connection to Jesus. They're so in love with Jesus and God. And they go into the woods and find him and they worship and pray, but they look at the church and they're like, not those people. I would never go there. Those guys are cuckoo. Those guys are crazy. And I would say, eh, you can't have one without the other. You can't just go to church and not have Jesus, and you can't just have Jesus and not go to church. You've got to have both. Peter is identified having both of these. He denies both also. He's not in a good spot. Then about an hour, verse 59, passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. His speech betrayed him. He didn't have the same vernacular. He didn't have the same accent. And I would say this, what I already said. Christians, we have a different topic and we have a different tone. You've got to settle into this. I love you guys. I love being with Christians. I actually love hanging with Christians more than non-Christians, okay? I don't know about you. And when I'm with non-Christians, my tone is different than theirs. It just is. And my topic is different. Now, God has called us to be salt and light, so we're not to distance ourselves from the world in that way. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. He was identified. His tone, his topic was different. He was a Galilean. And it ought to be the same with us as well. Look what happens next. But Peter, verse 60, said, man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, if you want to just pinch yourself, Jesus told him hours earlier, hey, dude, you're going to deny me three times. And before you do, the rooster's going to crow. It's all going to just flow. And he's like, what are you, this is, time out, Jesus, did you just say something about a, a farm animal, like right now? Like, you know, like, what, is it, what do farm animals have to do with anything, Jesus? And that Jesus would use a farm animal to confirm who he was. He, I'm Jesus Christ. I know what I'm doing. 
okay? I'm the eternal creator. Before time began, I am. I made you. I'm the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Do you guys realize that? Jesus didn't just get slain in the next few hours. Okay, he had borne humanity's sickness from the conception. Jesus had been bearing the sins of the world in totality, infinitely, perfectly, currently, and before time began. If you can, if you can even fathom that. And he had been bearing that sin. And as he met Peter, he said, I know what's going to happen. It's going to go just like this. Because it's on my mind. And it's on my mission. And it's what I'm here to do. And it's why I've resisted all of sin and temptation for you. And it's why I will endure all of the torture and suffering for you. This is what I've come to do, Peter. And Peter would deny, not me, no, no. And Jesus would signify this with a rooster. And then right on time. Did you know that the Talmud, which is the Jewish rule book, not the Bible, the rule book would say during Passover and high holy holidays, no chickens, no hens, no roosters in Jerusalem. They're not allowed because of the messes they make. You know what mystifies me is that somehow this rooster snuck in. <laughs> this renegade rooster, you know, it's like, watch this, you know, and he sneaks into Jerusalem. Making a mess everywhere. Because Peter would make a mess. And I mentioned this weeks ago that every single morning for the rest of Peter's life, growing up in a rural agricultural environment, roosters growing every single morning, would remind him two things. Number one, I can't believe I denied the Lord three times. It would also remind him of what happened directly after the denial. Immediately after the failure, right after he blew it. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The rooster hasn't even finished crowing. Peter barely finished denying, and the Lord is there catching him. The word looked at in the Greek is used throughout the New Testament to describe looking upon somebody with endearment or love. Devotion. Have you ever been caught in the act of sin and been looked at by somebody and you're in trouble? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? That, that's not the look. That's not the look Jesus gave him. Jesus, if he could even open up his eyes, I don't know how. If he could open up his eyes, swollen shut, caught him. Pete, I love you. I love you. Verse 62. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. You know, one of the best things we see in this story is that Peter didn't wait to repent. Some people wait. Can I just, don't wait. Get into a habit of repenting immediately. To your spouse, to your kids, to your boss, to your God. There are people who wait. You know what the Bible could have said here? And five years later, you know, Peter came back to his senses. It could say that. There's that, that story happens five months later, five weeks, five days later. And I get it. I know the struggle. Peter, the testimony, the story, Peter instantly is broken. Peter's a man. Men don't cry often. Okay? But when you're met face to face with your sin and your humanity, 
a good gut cry okay, is, is not a shameful thing. A brokenness. And I just would ask, have you done this? Have you, have you been met face to face with your sin and your Savior at the same time? We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to think about this. The, the, the word here to describe his weeping is violent convulsing. You know, the snot, blotchy face, puking. Have you, I, I have had these moments. And they're not cheap. They're expensive. Not only did it cost Christ everything, but it was expensive because the sins that you and I have committed are devastating. And when you're finally met with that reality, don't gloss over your sins. I repent every single day. And when it gets bad is when I gloss over it. Hey, I'm sorry about that. I just want to make everything right. We're good. Okay, moving on. Don't do that. Let it affect you. And see, in your own mistakes, see the Savior catching you. Do not ever repent flippantly or quickly. Repent deeply and be, re be restored. Be forgiven. Peter's unique in this way. When he wept bitterly, Jesus was dead the next day. And the next day. Until Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, he was restored and relieved. You and I, when we sin, okay, our Savior's alive right now. It has been paid for. You and I are the richest people in the entire universe. I wish I could say I'm not going to sin. I wish I could look at you in the eye and say, I'll never, never do it again. We need to understand who Jesus is and who we are. Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know what Jesus did? Read verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. You guys got to realize that in the first century, uh, things were pretty brutal, right? Humanitarian laws and, you know, rights and civil services and all that. Okay, the Romans were brutal. And now he's in trouble. And these guys, they were paid mercenaries to torture him. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter looks at Jesus. Peter repents and responds rightly. Jesus also responds rightly. How? Whew, let's do it. Did you guys know that the joy set before Jesus was why he endured the cross? The joy of you and me being forgiven. He said, I'll, I'll do it for that. I'll do it for that. Father, if there's any other way for them to be forgiven, then let this cup pass. But not my will be done. Thy will be done. Any other way? No other way? All right. Let's get it done. And when I believe when Jesus was being led and he saw Peter, that he maybe even gave him the nod. I got you. I got you. Isaiah, 800 years before this event, would prophesy and say that the Messiah would be beaten so badly that you could not recognize who it was or if it was a man or a beast. We've seen some gory movies, have we not? You guys ever see gory movies? Bodies blowing up, limbs flying, blood flowing. We've all seen stuff. And the difference with those movies is, is that it's fake. It's not real. 
And you can actually, I don't watch those, those things anymore. I repent. I've seen stuff. But it's fake. This was not fake. Verse 64. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Again, the motivation in Jesus' ability to endure this type of suffering was for Peter and for you and for me. The Bible declares in multiple accounts the sufferings of Jesus, the beatings, ultimately the flogging, eventually the crucifixion, and then the death. In a boxing match, there's usually 13 rounds. Two opponents spar one another. Jabs, punches. There's gloves. There's a ref. There's strategies. There's coaches. There's breaks. And if you've ever seen two boxers at the end of a 13-round match, they're cut, they're bruised, they're swollen, they're exhausted. And this is with gloves and refs and the ability to dodge. When a person is struck in the face without the ability to react, he was blindfolded. There's, there's a different depth of pain. See, God made our bodies instinctively to go with a punch. You get punched, you go with it, and you embrace it in that way. This was a game called Hot Hand, where they would cover a prisoner's face, and they would all hide their hands before covering them, and then they would each take turns except one, pummeling them. And then they would ask him, guess which one didn't punch you? And until he got it right, they would continue to repeat and play this game, this soldier game. And Jesus endured this this pummeling, this beating. Verse 65, Luke includes this. I had to read it a couple times last night just to think, what does that mean? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. I don't know what's worse. The physical pain, it's pretty bad. Or the emotional rejection from his created being. He knew those boys. Did you know that Jesus had the resources of heaven? to not only prophesy who had hit him, but every single thing about those men. He could have told them their first name, last name, or he could have told them every, everything about them because he loved them. He made them, and he willingly suffered because Peter had just denied him, because these men would need to be saved, because South Beach Church needed to have the good news of Jesus Christ, because this is the only message that's different. Jesus would go on to be tried. I meant to get through a few more verses today so we could see his first trial as they ask him specifically, are you the son of God? And he would say, after this beating, it is as you say. <sighs> that's enough. Kill him. Kill him. That was their investigation. And I've run out of time, so I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come and lead us in a song. And here's the application. I want you guys to just love Jesus more. Okay? In loving Jesus more, you'll distance yourself from the fires of this world. In seeing that he loves you and he endured this, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He didn't get beat up. Jesus did that. Did you know that you don't have to beat yourself up? 
Okay, don't, don't beat yourself up. The devil would love you to beat yourself up. Don't do that. Today, you know what you need to do? You need to thank Jesus Christ for knowing your sins, past, present, and future, even predicting them, and then carrying them to the cross. This is what he did for you. This is what he did for me. We study the testimony of Judas. We study the testimony of Peter. We study the testimony of Paul. You can study the testimony of Pastor Luke if you want. But really, it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I see him. And these three ladies bringing the communion elements out. I see Jesus in them. I see Jesus, how he's redeemed. How he's redeemed you. And if you're a child of God here today, he's looking at you. He loves you. Jesus bore not just the sin, listen please, but the wrath of God. You've made mistakes. You have, you have sinned. You have committed heinous sins. So have I. And Jesus stepped in between you and the Father and said, okay, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. And he endured the brutality. Hear this, please. God is not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, would chase after Peter, would pursue Peter, would never let Peter go. Peter, dude, I was there in the courtyard with you, bro. Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. We got things to do, Pete. It's all good, man. It's all good. I paid for it. There was no other way I did it. I did it. So, Lord, as we come to the table, we celebrate your son, his body broken, his blood spilled, the freedom and the newness of life which is ours. And if you're here this morning, before you come to the table, and you're a Christian, would you drink deeply of the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ? He has forgiven you. If you're a Christian here today, your sins are paid for already. He has delivered you. He has paid for you. The wrath of God has been absorbed upon him. You're set free, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you. He wants blessings for your life, blessings for your marriage, blessings for your kids, blessings for your business, blessings for your testimonies. What he, he loves you. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, the Bible declares that the wrath of God rests upon you until you pull Jesus into your heart, until you look at him and say, be my savior. And so before you take communion, you do that. You let Jesus be your savior, be your buffer. And as you celebrate the body and the blood, we examine ourselves and we proclaim his death until he returns. So Jesus, would you be honored in this time? Heal hearts, deliver souls, crush and squash to the rebellion of sin. And if you're here this morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond in, in, a, in a simple way. If the Lord has spoken to you today and you need to repent, you need to get saved, you need to worship deeply. You need to weep bitterly, whatever. Would you just raise your hand right now if you just need more Jesus in your life somehow? Today, you don't want to leave different. You don't want to leave the same. You want to leave changed today. Raise your hand right now if you want to leave changed. You want to leave changed, Jesus? Would you see the hands that are up? Would you give power? Would you give purpose and direction? Lord, may we not run to the enemy's fires. Forgive us. Lord, if there's pride, help us to see it. Lord, if we're we're weaklings in our prayer, Lord, help us to repent. 
We've been acting in the flesh. Help us to own it. If we've been warming ourselves because we've been following at a distance, then fix it. We love you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Bless this time now as we repent. In Jesus' name, amen.